fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Hall Tender Dog Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Tracy, we are so excited for our upcoming live event in Indianapolis with Tragedy of Cinema and Middle Aged and Creeped Out. Yes, we're looking forward to seeing all of you. I'm Todd. I'm Nate. And I'm Sean. And we are Middle Aged and Creeped Out. We are looking forward to sharing some creepy stories with all of our hometown listeners. I'm Jimbo with the Tragedy of Cinema. And I'm Kyle, also with Tragedy of Cinema. India is also our hometown, and we have the perfect horror movie to break down for you guys. Come out and see us on Saturday, July 16th at the VFW on South Lockburn and help veterans at the same time. All three shows are clean, so this is a family-friendly event. Tickets are just $20. Seating is limited, so get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Hey guys, welcome to episode 311 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry, and Tracy is under the weather today, so we will not be recording a brand new episode. But what I do have is I'm going to play you one of our Patreon bonus episodes on the Anderson College apparition. We did this back in December of last year, and most of you have not heard this. If you're a Patreon subscriber on uh, the $5 level and up, then you may have heard it. But even for you guys that have heard it, it's been uh, six or seven months. Hopefully, uh, you'll give it a listen. But what I do have new on the show is we have Gwendolyn Guthrie on, and she is a paranormal investigator and has all kinds of strange stuff going on in her house and we have an awesome conversation about that. And Gwendolyn's been on the show before talking about uh, her Bigfoot adventure that was uh, televised on a couple of different television shows, depending on the name and, and the network that it was on. But I think you guys are going to enjoy that. But even though Tracy's not here, we're still going to thank all of our men, women, and service animals around the world of our allied troops, no matter which country you represent Thanks to all of you for everything you do every day. Also, you know, I had a two-hour conversation with a uh, young woman that was struggling with uh, some hardships in her life. And uh, the call resulted in her checking herself into a hospital. But it was much bleaker before that. And um, I'm glad that we have the opportunity to do those type of things. So when we tell you guys, if you need us to call us, uh, this this young lady was in a very desperate situation, and um, it, it, honestly, it didn't look good, and I didn't know that I had the skills, but I, I talked to her and lent it an ear and convinced her to call and get help, and I have confirmed that she actually did get help. Um, so I'm just telling you, it makes a difference. Listen to people. If someone called, in you know, her situation, this is what's frustrating. She's got family but when she called and told them what was going on, they all pretty much blew it off like it was no big deal. 
her exact words were, well, everybody just pretty much tells me, just watch the Hallmark Channel. I guess that's her favorite channel. Watch the Hallmark Channel and go to bed and everything will be all right in the morning. Guys, if somebody calls you because they have situations going on in their life, they need help and they are asking you for help. Please don't blow them off and just assume things are automatically going to get better because that next phone call you get may not be a good one. So just keep that in mind. And if you need to talk to someone that's more professional, the suicide hotline here in America is 1-800-273-8255. And you can also text them 741-741. All right. So let's get into the story about the Anderson College apparition. Listening to the Hillbilly Horror Stories Patreon bonus episode. Please welcome your hosts, Jerry and Tracy Pauly. Hey guys, welcome to the December 2021 Patreon bonus episode. Last one of the year. Really? I guess it is. Oh. Yeah, that's how the calendar works. December stops. Oh. And then January starts a new year. True. But who wants to go to the new year? I probably a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I do because we'll be in Orlando. Oh, true. Well, hey, everyone. So, Tracy, this is a unique kind of story today. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of um, back and forth vocabulary. Oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. Which, no, no, I don't mean that. I mean, in the story, there's a lot of, he said this, she, she said, said that. And I almost had to do it that way instead of just telling the story of what was said. And I tried not to. So you'll see in the beginning, I, I, I did it as close to that as possible because I felt like it needed to be done. But then there's actually more of it like that. But I decided to kind of ad lib a little bit on that so it's kind of strange because it's hard to get into the flow of a story when you're trying to do dialogue okay well let's do it to it anyways so we're gonna go december 19th 1982 in the issue of the anderson independent mail they reported some very unusual happenings at the sullivan music center that sits on the campus of anderson college in anderson south carolina okay doke i want to hear about this now now originally this was the house that the college presidents would live in. Oh, okay, cool. So, so this was, you know, on campus. This is where they lived. And several presidents in a row lived there. Over the years, there have been several stories of paranormal activities. But this is the one that really stands out. And this is what was written in the paper. Okay. So we're going to go back a little bit before the article and kind of give you the idea of what took place as far as the events. So you'll know what the article is about. A student by the name of Richard, and that's a fake name, by the way. Okay. But they were protecting his identity. But the student by the name of Richard decided to stop by the Sullivan, which is what they call the music center there, to see if his roommate was in there practicing. He walked in and he heard the sound of a piano in one of the rooms. He walked to that room, he opened the door, and he was astounded to see a translucent Almost luminous girl sitting at the piano. How exciting. He nervously blurted out, Who are you? 
He was amazed that the figure actually answered him back. She said, Man, will you interrupt me during my jamming session? That's what she said. I'm surprised that you made any comment at all without having to turn biatch in it, because almost everything you said is... <laughs> no, what did she say? She said, I'm Anna, of course. Yeah, duh. So he was like, what do you mean, of course? And she said, everyone knows me because of my father. Um, Your father? Yes, don't you know who he is? Oh, no, I don't. Uh, you didn't tell me your last name. Hello. <laughs> Papa is the president of the school, silly. Oh. She said. So then he asked her why she was haunting the building. Because, you know, that's what you do when you first meet a ghost. Like, uh, what's up? Maybe she's just fair-skinned. How does he know it was a Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she swallowed a light bulb. And <laughs> <laughs> she said, I'm not free to do otherwise. Unless, really, I wanted to, I guess. He said... Why aren't you free? She said she had to go on searching. Oh my gosh, what for? Right, so that's what he said. He said, what are you searching for? Now, when he asked this, she he obviously struck a chord. Not on the piano. <laughs> yeah, like within. But that comes later. Anyways, she kind of bowed her head and, and looked sad. Aww. And she said that she didn't really want to talk about this anymore. Oh, poor thing. So, obviously, he didn't want her to disappear. He was like, Yeah, he's all like all about yeah, it this now. Yeah, is, this, is, this is the deal. So, he decided to kind of drop it. But then he told her that if she told him who she was looking for, he may be able to help. True. And he didn't have a clue how he could do this by any, by any way, shape, or form. But... He wanted to keep talking to her. This was the only way he thought that it could happen. So she lifted her head. She seemed to be a little brighter. Not like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she, she, was, she was a little, excited. She was a little happier. And she asked, well, how are you going to help me? And he said, well, first of all, I need to know who you're looking for. She said, well, I'm looking for my fiance. He said, okay. So then he asked, what she would like him to do, how he could possibly help. And she said, well, you can make my parents let me see him. Oh, my goodness. So he asked her why she was not allowed to see him. And uh, she said that her parents felt that she was too young to get married. Mm -hmm. She was 16 years old. That's kind of normal back in the day, wasn't it? I would think. But here's the key. She told her parents that if they they didn't let her see him, she was going to kill herself. <gasps> but then she followed it up by saying, but I didn't mean to. <gasps> oh, no. So he looks at the girl. <gasps> and he says, it seems, though, that you did obviously kill yourself. And he said, are you sorry, Anna? And she replied, sometimes. So then Richard trying to engage her. He says, other than your age, was there any other reasons why your family had a problem mm -hmm. with this boy and didn't want you to get married? And she said that the, the boy was Catholic and her father didn't like that. 
He didn't. He was born bad. He was raised Baptist, and he didn't like Catholics. He didn't like the idea of the boy being a different religion than what his daughter was. So he then went on and said, "You know, what did he look like?" She said, "Oh, he was he was handsome with curly black hair and blue eyes. He looked very much like a young man who comes in here and plays the piano." What? So Richard asked her who the man was that comes in and plays the piano. And uh, Anna, in true smart-ass fashion, says, Well, how am I supposed to know? (laughs) She just knows he comes in there. (laughs) She says, But he plays the most beautiful waltz. And she began to sing one of the waltzes. It was a song about a widow. And the music was so distinct that it flowed through the entire building. So Anna stops and she says, if you don't help me, I'll misbehave. Ooh, getting a little salty there. Yeah. So Richard looked at her and he says, misbehave. And she said, just wait, you'll see. Then the spirit faded away. Oh, my Lord. So Richard kind of stood there. He was just... In, she left him hanging, man. Yeah. So Richard was in amazement. He just stood there. And he said... Damn, when he now wa- what am I going to do? <laughs> he said when he walked into the music center, it was afternoon and the afternoon sunlight was kind of shining in. And now he was leaving and it was dark. So he really didn't even realize how long he'd, he'd even been, there. been in there. He goes back to his dorm. And he finds his roommate sitting in a room reading. His roommate's name is Frank. And he looks at him and says, Hey, Frank, you've been at the music center a lot lately. Have you seen anything unusual? And he was like, No, not really. What do you What do you mean unusual? And Richard was like, You know, like ghosts. <laughs> oh, my god! Frank said, uh, No, why would I see ghosts? <laughs> so Richard, at this point, thought, um, I probably need to to kind of put a different spin on this. So he said, well, I don't know. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I was just kidding. Mm-hmm. And Frank said, well, that's good. It makes me feel a little better about you. Yeah. <laughs> so Richard nonchalantly asked Frank, what kind of music do you play when you're over there? Frank's blue eyes welled up. He frowned slightly as he ran his finger through his curly, jet black hair. Stop your... Oh, my Lord. Frank explained that his dad was a music student here. Oh, my and gosh. since he passed away, he kind of gets a, a feeling of closeness to him when he plays some of his dad's favorites. Then Richard promptly asked Frank if he ever played Strauss waltzes. And at that time, there was a knock on the door, and it was one of Frank's friends who actually came in and stayed for a bit longer than he had hoped, and he never got an answer to oh, the no. question. Oh, no. Dang it. Rude. So the next morning, Richard and Frank were heading to their first period class. And I don't know, I don't guess it's a period in college, but they went to the first class. Yeah. So they're walking across campus, and they go right past the music center. Two maintenance men... Donnie Martin and Ernie Edwards. They come running out of the center. And the boys 
are like, dude, what's up? Why are you running? Why are you running out like that? And one of the maintenance men said, "There's something strange in there." And the other one said, "Yeah, there sure is." So Richard was curious now, and he said, "What? What's? What do you mean by strange?" And then one guy said, "Well." The music just kept getting louder and louder. So Richard said, what music? Even though he knew yeah, yeah. what was going on. And the men said, someone was, someone was playing the piano and singing. And it got louder and louder. And Richard then asked, what were they singing? And the men responded that they had no clue because they didn't stick around to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, the closer we got, the louder the music was. So he went the other way. My heart can't take much of that. Whoa. So Frank was confused. Was she singing out of key? What? <laughs> Frank was confused. And because, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. But Richard, obviously, seemed to be on the same wavelength with these two guys. So yeah. they all kind of seemed like they were in sync. But Frank was just lost behind as to what the hell was going on. So Richard was thinking about Anna's threat to misbehave. Is that what she was doing? Is that what was going on? Was she misbehaving? That's her misbehaving? I mean, some, what are you going to do? Knock over a liquor store? <laughs> I just thought it would be something a little different. I don't know. So Richard looks over at Frank, and he suggested they go into the music center and see who else that they could find to talk to. So, so they kind of just went over there, even though Frank doesn't know what the hell's going on. Right. He goes over there. They ran into a gentleman by the name of Jim Staggs, and he was cleaning the windows. And Richard asked this man if he had ever heard anything strange in the music center. And he said that he had only heard one thing, and this was about 9 a.m. one morning. He heard someone walking around upstairs, and he knew he was the only one in the music center. But the footsteps he heard were plain as day. So he went up and he checked it out. He found that there was no one up there, but there was a faucet that was now going, that had been turned on full blast. Oh. Nobody had been there all night. It was just opening up. And so, and he knew that that faucet wasn't on before that. Correct. Yeah. I mean, that would be a mess if it was. So Stags left and Richard and Frank kind of followed him out the front door. They then stood underneath this, this old oak tree that was on campus. And this was the time for Richard to ask the question again. So, what kind of music do you play when you're in there? Frank said, oh, I don't know. Why? And he's like, do you play any Strauss? Mm -hmm. And Frank said, yes, as a matter of fact, I'm reading a book on Strauss right now. Why are you, why are you interested? Do you want to learn? Yeah. And Richard says, well, because I think that's what I heard her playing. So Frank was like, heard who playing? Have you lost, are you losing your cool, man? That's what he's like, are you losing your cool? And Richard hesitated to tell Frank what happened. But in the meantime, while he, he's hesitating, Frank becomes really silent, kind of like he's pondering something. And then Frank decided to talk. And he said, Richard, you know how sometimes your mom or dad will tell you a story about someone that they used to date or were in love with? Mm-hmm. And Richard kind of looked at him and said, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. And he said, yeah. And he said, but once in a while, 
when my dad was feeling down. He would reminisce about a girl that he fell in love with while he was at school here. Mm. He said he really was in love with her and he wanted to marry her. And uh, she was the daughter of the college president. (gasps) Of course, that was before he met my mom and he never mentions it around my mom, obviously. That sounds familiar. So story. (laughs) Richard, looking puzzled, asked, well, why didn't your dad marry her? And Frank said, well, back then... There was a lot of prejudice in the South against Catholics. Oh, Jesus, Pete. Oh, my gosh. And fa- her father didn't want her to see my dad at all. Oh. So Richard asked, so what happened? He said she committed suicide. Richard kind of gasped and said, good Lord. He said, yeah, dad thinks she only meant to scare her father, but it didn't work out the way that she had planned. So about that time, the boys heard the door open to the music center uh, and, and they look over and it was a gentleman by the name of Olin Paget. He's the maintenance director there. So Richard told Frank, you know, hold on, let's go over here and talk to Olin. And he gets over and he says, Olin, tell me what's going on inside the music center. And Olin was like, Richard, do you want me to get in trouble? And he said, well, why would you get in trouble? And he said, well, the school's very concerned about their image and they would prefer that I didn't talk about it at all. So obviously this has been an issue before being brought up. Okay, wait though. Is so is Don't ask a question that you might be getting the answer to later. Okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> so I got a feeling you're not gonna be patient enough. You're just gonna ask. So Richard looked at Olin and he said, Look, I think a girl committed suicide in there at one point, and I think Frank's dad knew her. So Olin said, Okay, let's go inside. And he said, just between the two of us, I've heard footsteps, but I didn't think much of it until other people said that they had heard the exact same thing. So Frank asked, do you really think that there's a ghost in there? And Olin said that he thought there was definitely a presence or a force inside the building. Now, at that moment, they heard a thunderous chord strike on the piano. It was at the room across the hall. They all come rushing into that room, which was completely empty. Frank put his fingers on the the piano keys and he kind of positioned them. He said, hey, I know that chord. And he lifted his fingers and came down hard on the keys. The reverberated notes were then followed by a sharp crash. And then Frank cried out in pain as the lid behind the keys slammed onto his fingers. He looked at Richard. He looked at Richard and asked, Wasn't that the cord? Richard nodded, and then they looked at each other incredulously. Frank never went back into the music center, but Richard did several times. He was so curious about this apparition, even though he never saw it again. Oh, he didn't? Both young men are convinced that someone was there. If you ask the administration at Anderson College about the ghost, you'll find out that they are not eager to discuss the matter. In fact, they will tell you that no tragic event has ever happened on campus. So what do you think about that story? I love that story, but is Frank's dad still alive? I don't know. Uh, and at the time, this was 1983. Um, I, I, he talked like that he could have passed on already cuz he oh said cuz he would say sometimes when my dad was sad and he kept saying that 
when he played his dad's songs, he felt a closeness, which led me to believe that his that dad was not... no longer around. What in the world? Well, oh, my God. So what if Frank was still alive? I mean, Frank's dad was still alive and he could go there and she could see him. Well, and apparently she was thinking that like maybe his son was maybe like him because he apparently looked a lot like him. He had oh, the same whoa. kind of black curly oh, hair and a blue dude, eyes. No, but seriously, just imagine if like he like if Frank's dad showed up and she was there. What do you think she would do? I don't know. She could turn it into like a succubus or something. But, oh, I love this story. But then he could, if he was alive, he could have showed up and then talked to her and been like, honey, it's okay to move on or whatever. And I, I still love you or whatever. I'm surprised that, that his son, Frank, didn't continue to go in there because you would think that that would be something he would. I would have. I would have. Maybe he got mad because he slammed the thing on her his fingers. But I mean, get over because it. she literally was showing up at least now because he was playing his dad's music. So I mean, he was basically there, looking like his dad, playing the music in the same place that that they used to. Oh, that touches my heart. Hmm. I thought that was a good story. I did too. Man, Richard is so lucky that he got to talk to her. Yeah, because that was like a... You I know, mean, that's not like a one-question thing. It was like a whole conversation. Yeah, they had a whole conversation that lasted at least from late afternoon till it became dark. So, I mean, I that, that was probably so at least an hour. that is freaking cool. Man, he's so lucky. I can't even get small talk with regular girls. He's got small talk with ghosts uh, and Dang, stuff. that's what I'm saying? That's, that was a cool story. I like that. Okay. Well, good. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. And thank you for... Everything that you do for us, as usual, it's been a fantastic year for us, and we owe every bit of it to you guys. Absolutely. Without a doubt. You guys are everything to us. We and, love y'all. And as we record this, we're literally getting ready to pack up more stuff and, and head out to help the disaster relief for mm-hmm. the tornadoes. And, and once again, you guys were a tremendous part oh of that. Oh my gosh, you guys are... We are just so blessed to have you guys. You all donated your money. We got, you know, things that we can take. I mean, the truck is full. Yeah, and that's and we've only spent half the money. Yeah, so we've so got a lot more to go. Yeah, we're going to go unload, and then the, the other location is about an hour away from that, and we're going to go shopping and fill up again and yeah. unload at the, at the second location. Yeah, and we can't thank you guys enough for, you know, blessing these families like you have because it really means a lot. We all need each other this time of year, especially, but, you know, we felt the love from you all for sure. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thanks for a wonderful year, and we'll see you soon. Bye. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that one. Let's uh, cover some really quick housekeeping. We've got the live show in Indianapolis in uh, six days on Saturday. Come up and see us. Uh, you get tickets still at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. We'll have all of our products there for sale. But you get three shows, uh, Middle Age Creeped Out, Tragedy of Cinema, and us all doing a live event. And uh, the money, some of this money goes to help out veterans up at the VFW up there in Indianapolis. So come on out and have some fun. Also, we got, um, you might have seen the little commercial that we put out and uh, and heard it already. We've got the Hillbilly Horror Stories six-year anniversary show with Serial Spirits uh, up at the Old Hospital on College Hill. That's uh, just a little over a month and a week away. 
Uh, so you, that one actually comes with a tour. It's done inside the hospital. The show is so you get the show and you get the tour. It'd be very cool. So uh, you can get tickets for that also at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. All right, real quick, let's do uh, some iTunes reviews. We had Mojo Lobster. We had uh, Tracy. You've got this probably writer than I will. More right. Uh, Zaria Luther Alien. Go Jimmer. Uh, Kevin Cummings and. Jason B, Anna Savannah, and Sand Dunes 37, and Austin Mullen. Thanks to all of you for uh, helping out with that. We greatly appreciate it. And as far as the Patreons for the week, this week we had Katie Mae Roberts, Mary Hall, Veronica Adame. I think that's right. I hope I, hopefully I didn't butcher that. Thanks to all three of you for signing up for Patreon. And remember, guys, the episode that you heard tonight, we do at least one full-length bonus episode just like that every month. And we do a full-length listener stories episodes where you get to hear from other Hillbilly Horror Story fans tell their story to us about uh, what they've encountered in uh, their home or their life or in their past. And um, plus you get free or ad, I should say ad-free episodes of everything we put out. And you can get up to 24 shorts that you hear on the Patreon previews at the beginning of the week. So you get a lot for your money. I, I can guarantee you no podcast, none, put out more content than we do on Patreon. So uh, we feel like if you're going to give us your hard-earned money, you at least need to get your money's worth. All right, we're going to take a quick sponsor break, and then we're going to have Gwendolyn Guthrie on. Hey guys, I'm excited to have Gwendolyn Guthrie back on the show. She's been on, uh, maybe I bet it's been about a year and a half ago when uh, she was on again, talking about her experience with a uh, possible Sasquatch. Then uh, she was fresh off of her uh, TV. Uh, I'm not going to say debut because I'm sure you've been on lots of things, but it was on Terror in the Woods was uh, what that episode was on. And we talked in detail about that. Gwendolyn, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, it's funny, I, I, I told you this, but, you know, we had talked and then uh, we were at the same event this past November at CryptidCon, and I saw you, I bet, 20 times and didn't realize that's who you were. And then after the fact, I saw some pictures and I'm like, I cannot believe that was Gwendolyn this whole time and I didn't stay high or anything. <laughs> so we completely missed each other, even though we were within 10 feet of each other. I don't know how many times. Yeah, you know, I'm really bad for for recognizing faces away from social media. <laughs> so right. I, I missed you too. So it's partially my fault. <laughs> no, it just uh, but like I said, it's just kind of uh it's funny that everybody gets together. It's just it's when you get so many people in such a small area, it's just uh you lose sight of of your tunnel vision, I guess. Oh yeah, All right. definitely. <laughs> so Gwendolyn, you're actually the the founder of uh Uncharted Studies. Tell everybody what that is. So Uncharted Studies, um, initially it was intended to be a place where I posted my investigative material, um, anything interesting that I found. Uh, it slowly over time turned into more of a blog. I have a lot of paranormal things and strange things that go on at and around my home. And I found myself posting more about that type of phenomena more than my experiences when I was out investigating. Um, part of that is because a lot of what I was doing at the moment was residential cases, which you can't talk about publicly. 
so I found myself posting more about my experiences here at my home, my own personal experiences. So it turned into more of a blog, which I kind of enjoy because people kind of get an inside look of what I deal with at home and how I deal with it and the way I look at it. Um, I don't look at everything as negative or demonic. I look at everything as interesting and a chance to study it more. It's funny because that's actually how we ended up back on here. I was looking at your, uh, your profile kind of popped up, you know, I don't know. I can't figure Facebook out. Sometimes I'll see somebody's post a hundred times in a week and then I'll go three months and never see anything from them. And it's just all algorithms and stuff. But I saw a post pop up where you were talking about these strange things that were happening in your house. And I started looking and it was, it was a pretty long detailed story and I'm like, why am I letting Gwendolyn just share this to anybody who listen when I can have an exclusive on our show? So I sent you a message that said, you should come on and talk about this stuff. And you uh, gladly oblige. So that's what we're doing here. So let's, I want to get into your paranormal investigating later, because I know there's a couple of places that uh, you find near and dear to your heart and you would have uh, some intentions on going back to. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But first, I want you to talk about uh, I guess things in your house are, are kind of always there, but they've kind of ramped up a little bit lately. So tell me about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So I find with the entities that I deal with in my own home tend to, they have what I call outbursts where they have this big burst of energy, a lot of crazy things happen, and then they slow down, they die down for a period of time. Um, recently, I've just had my mimic make its its debut appearance again and first time in a couple of years. And so that's why I think everything is kind of up in arms right now. Uh, I think it's just a change in the, in the atmosphere, the change in the energy. And I think it's got every other entity that's I've dealt with kind of up in arms right now. A couple of weeks ago, I started noticing that we were seeing a lot of things around the home. My son, for instance, he saw what he thought was my dog. I have a big black royal poodle and she is large and black and fluffy. And he thought he saw her walk through the living room, the, the living room. He called for her. I told him, I said, Nicola, why are you calling for Mirka? She's asleep. Leave her alone. Cause she was in on my bedroom floor sleeping and I was in my office. He said, mom, she's in the living room. And I went in there and I said, son, she's right here. And I pointed at her and he says, I promise you, mom, I promise. I saw her walk through the living room and I said, well, it wasn't my dog that you saw, but I believe you saw something earlier in that same day. I had saw very similar to what he saw with my own eyes. I saw it directly with my own eyes. Something passed through in my kitchen. So I, I, sit, I was sitting in my living room and my kitchen is just off my living room to the right side of the couch. So I'm sitting on the couch and to the right side of me, I see a big black mass in my kitchen and it crosses the doorway. And immediately I poked my daughter with my foot. She was sitting on the floor in front of me. I said, look, and she missed it. And I said, I, I just saw with my own eyes. It was a big black shadow. It was kind of see-through. So it was almost like a gray, like a dark gray. And it just moved through. It just looked like a big ball of black. And so I had saw that before my son saw what he thought was my dog. The same day, later that night, I saw probably one of the creepier things I've ever seen. 
I was sitting on my bed and I can see through the living room into the kitchen from my bed. And as I'm sitting there and I'm just messing around on my phone, I saw something that was probably about seven to eight foot tall. It was skinny. It had black stringy hair and there was no definition of the body. So the body wasn't really defined, but the head, I could see the stringy hair and it's had its head hanging down low. Like it was looking out the ground and it just moved in the living room, crossed over the doorway of the kitchen and blocked out the light and disappeared into the shadow of the living room. And immediately, immediately, I'm like fumbling for a flashlight that I keep next to my bed. I'm like throwing stuff around, trying to find the flashlight. And I'm like in a panic because I'm thinking, I know that wasn't a person, but I need to see if it's still hovering in the corner, in the dark corner. So I'm fumbling around, I finally find my flashlight and I get it clicked on, there's nothing there. And it took a long time because my kids are upstairs sleeping and I was downstairs by myself. It took a long time for my brain to calm down for me to even go to sleep. And I just kept running through things in my mind, like, was it this, was it this? And I was trying to run through all the explanations that I could possibly think of to explain something, to explain it away, away from paranormal. And I couldn't think of nothing because I saw it directly with my own eyes. And I'm like, you, you go through this, um, this stage after you see something directly like that, that you can't deny where you're just trying to explain it away. And you almost feel like you're going crazy because you're like, I did not just see that. And I couldn't think of anything. And I'm like, I just need to go to bed. And you stop thinking about it. Well, I slept with my bedroom light on that night because if anything's going to be messing around my room, I want to be able to see what it is. <laughs> but it was it was one of the more uh, tense experiences. I, I don't often see things directly. I see a lot of things, but not so solid and direct like that. And that's what threw me off so much about it is because it was so direct there was no denying it so that that really kind of made me on nerds so I kept my eyes and ears open for the next couple of days the next day was even crazier so I had put my kids to bed and I was in the bathroom and I was cleaning up the sink and the mirror and everything just doing my nightly chores like usual and as I'm standing there all of a sudden, I have two of my dogs in the bathroom with me, and they always like to stay under my feet. So two of them go in the bathroom with me. One of them doesn't like to go in the bathroom. So she stayed outside the bathroom. I shut the bathroom door. I opened up the window, and I started spraying the cleaner. And all of a sudden, there's this bang, bang, bang on the bathroom door. Often, my little dog, she's a little Yorkie, she'll sit against the door. and You can hear her come and plant her butt against the door. It's one little soft bang. <laughs> And I'm thinking, that can't be her. That, that is definitely not my dog. So the, my big dog, she sticks her nose near the bottom of the door, and she's, like, sniffing, like she's curious. I'm like, she wouldn't care if that was Luna. So I'm thinking, that's awful hard banging. And it kept going and kept going. And then finally, I started hearing it sounded like something scraping down the door from about two and a half foot up off the floor, my dog's a Yorkie. She's definitely not that big. She cannot scrape up that high. And it sounded like fingertips rather than dog nails. So I'm thinking, my daughter's messing with me. So it scrapes all the way down the door and then bang, bang, bang. Scrapes all the way down the door and bang, bang, bang. And so I said, I was yelling at her. I said, Ezra, stop. I'm trying to clean. You're supposed to be in bed. And I kept waiting for her, like, I'm going to come in or something, you know, goofy. 
And she's 16 years old. So she plays tricks on me all the time. <laughs> and so I'm yelling at her, stop. And she's not quitting. And then finally I look and my dog is nuzzling at the bottom of the door. And then something, it was two little tips of the fingertips, like the first finger and the second finger. And it slid. I could just see the tips and it slid all the way across the door real slow and then dip back. <laughs> and then it did it again. And I'm like, Ezra, I can see your fingers quit. I said, now's not the time. Your brother's trying to sleep. And then I hear my daughter's name from the kitchen call for Mirica, who's in the bathroom with me. She's my big dog. And I, I, I called her. I'm like, okay, something's weird because I'm still hearing the banging at the same time. I hear her in the kitchen calling for my dog. So I call her on her phone and I'm like, Ezra, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just coming downstairs. And then I hear the downstairs door open. And I'm like, okay, so I heard her in front of the bathroom door in the kitchen and she's upstairs there. I have no explanation for what it was other than it was my mimic. And it was just chaos just broke loose that in that moment and to see fingertips that look like human flesh colored fingertips running slowly underneath the bathroom door and then dip away. And it's nobody that was creepy. So I get out of the bathroom and I'm telling my daughter what happened because at this point she had come downstairs and I was like kind of freaking out. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe what just happened. So I'm telling her what happened. And she's like, Mom, please don't tell me that story. I'm trying to go to bed. I don't want anything mess with me in my sleep. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just being for real. Like, it really just happened. And so she goes to the bathroom. She goes to the bathroom. She comes back out. And I'm still standing there. And we walk over to the bedroom, the upstairs door. And I'm talking to her and she goes, I don't want to go upstairs now. And I said, it'd be fine. Just tell it to leave you alone for the night. And it seems like it's all happening down here anyway. So you're good. And she opens up the upstairs door and it goes straight into a hallway that goes upstairs and you can see up the stairs and she opens up the stairs door and she immediately slams it shut. And she goes, I just saw legs. I just saw legs. It looked like <laughs> a little kid. I just saw legs. And she's panicking. And right about then, you start hearing all kinds of crazy noise in my bedroom. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on right now. This is chaos. So Ezra is in a panic because, you know, she's used to this kind of stuff. But to see something like that so directly, like I was saying, it's a lot different when you see it like straight with your eyes. And she goes, mom, I'm out. I, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm done. I can't take this now. I'm seeing stuff. <laughs> She's like panicking. And um, so I, I'm laughing at her. And I said, I think it's just the little girl that's hanging around here. She's interested in the chaos that's happening down here. And um, I keep getting her name as Cherish, the little girl that is residing here. I said, Cherish is just, you know, curious about what's going on here. And uh, so she, I, I said, I'll open the door. So I open up the door and I flip on the light and I'll be honest with you. She was, she was in a panic. I mean, she's never seen anything dead on like that. And all she said was mom, all I can say is I'm glad I didn't look up. She said, I saw the legs and I immediately looked down because I knew I would never be able to sleep upstairs again. If I had salt's face. <laughs> all right. So I, I have a couple of questions. 
Yeah. Usually, I usually by this point I have one or two. I've got like thirty, so okay. <laughs> I need to start asking before I forget them. So, first of all, okay. how long have you lived in that location? Uh, just over just over a year. Okay, so was these are are these same entities? Do they kind of follow you from place to place in general, or are most of these things occurring for the first time at this location? No, the only one that's new is the little girl and she's tied to the house. All the others have come with me. Now you mentioned, uh, well, some of it you've kind of already answered since I came up with the question, but uh, I was going to say, are your kids used to seeing stuff too? And if so, are they kind of sensitive or do you think this is something that just these things are so blatant, they can't help but to see it? Um, Some of it is so blatantly obvious. You can't help but to recognize what's going on around you. My son is kind of just coming in to admitting that they're the weird things that go on. For a long time, he was kind of in denial. He figured if he denied it, he could pretend it didn't happen. It doesn't exist because he's scared of it. He's only 12. My daughter, she can tell you stories from back when she was little about the things she's dealt with. And she's slowly growing more willing to explore the things that are out there. Um, I've been buying her some investigative tools and stuff like that and helping her create her own in some instances. So she's very adamant. She wants to do what I do. But there has been times where I've taken her on investigations with me and it's like sensory overload because of the stuff she's experiencing. But she does experience it as well. And she's starting to become just as sensitive as I am. Um, I think my son's denial is acting as a block in a way because he'll deny and deny and deny it. And then in his head, it never happened. <laughs> well, and you mentioned your mimic two or three different times. I'm assuming this is something you've dealt with for a long time. Yes, I have. Um, I call it my mimic because it's not like a doppelganger and it's not like um, any other thing. It's, it's more like its own separate entity. It's not a doppelganger it's a doppelganger is more as if if i were creating an outward expression of mm -hmm. my physical appearance this is a standalone entity that is creating mimicry based on the people and the things around it it will mimic when i was about 17 it was always mimicking my mom's scent her her perfume her voice it would always try to call me downstairs from my bedroom and try to get me to stay downstairs and I don't know why but it would be three o'clock in the morning I come downstairs because I would stay up all night playing games I was a gamer and then I go to school the next morning but I would come downstairs at three o'clock in the morning and I would smell my mom's perfume and I'd be really confused because my mom was a bus driver and she'd have to get up at four and I'm thinking there's no way she's up an hour early so I'd be calling mom 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 and I'd hear her say I'm in here and I'd go to the bathroom where she was and she's not there. So then I'd go to her bedroom and I crack the door and there she is laying there sleeping. So it kind of started around 16 and 17 years old. And then it just has followed me ever since. And I have a lot of video or I've caught it on video saying things that I'm doing or copying things I've said. Um, I've even caught it recently on video and uh, I caught the banging 
from the bathroom door on video from a few nights ago, from a couple weeks ago, rather. So it's it's constant. I'm constantly catching this this mimic on, on video and audio. And other entities I've dealt with, they're they're a little better at not being captured as easily. But for some reason, this mimic is always, always, always being caught on camera and audio and everything else. So I've dealt with it for a long time. And it just doesn't just mimic me. It mimics, I used to mimic my mom. It mimics my kids. It even mimics my dogs. Since sounds, smells, just anything that you're used to, it'll just pop up out of nowhere. And it's just like a copy. It, whatever it is shouldn't be there. <laughs> what do you think it is? I mean, because that doesn't sound like a, a ghost. It doesn't sound like a, necessarily a demon or something like that. I mean, what type of entity would you think that that would be? I honestly, I have a couple of theories. It's, it's weird because um, I'm sensitive, so I can pick up on emotions and feelings and things like that. And a lot of times I can determine what something is based on the, the energy I'm picking up from it. This one doesn't seem to give off a lot of feeling. So I theorize, one of my theories is that it, it could possibly be somehow one of us, me or my kids, somebody, well, it wouldn't be my kids because they weren't born when I was 17, but somehow there's a sort of time portal being broke open and, and pieces of it must be leaking through somehow. I see, like an interdimensional type situation. Yeah, but that, that theory tends to fall short with some instances, so I'm still playing around with it. The only problem is, is it doesn't stay around for too long. It usually hangs around for two, three months, and then it goes away for a couple of years. So it's really hard to get a good feel on what this thing could be when a, there's not enough time to study it. <laughs> yeah, that was the other question I was going to ask, because you mentioned that your, your uh, mimic is back, which led me to believe that it disappears for periods of time. It does. Yeah. Yeah. The last time it was really active was about four years ago, but then I had a couple instances a couple years ago that I had forgotten about until recently that I was like, oh yeah, it, it was mimicking me a couple years ago. Cause somebody pointed out to me, they were like, wait a minute, don't you remember when we saw this, this, this? And I was like, that was only a couple years ago. So it was, it's been shorter than four years. It's been only a couple years. So I'm trying to figure out a pattern with it. And it's just so weird. It's like the one entity that I have such a struggle to understand, and it seems to be so close by. <laughs> it's crazy. So let's talk a little bit about, let's talk real quick about your son. You said that he kind of puts the blockers up. When do you think he first started experiencing things though? He's 12 now. How far back do you think it goes? Um, well, when he was about two he would try to express to me um what was going on in his bedroom when he was two I had moved my daughter out of her room because of all the stuff that she was experiencing and I moved him and his brother his older brother into that room because I'm thinking okay whatever was in her room is now gone but I can't leave her in there by herself because she's still mentally tortured from it. And she doesn't feel comfortable there. So I moved her out and I moved the boys in at that point in time, my son would have been eight or nine. So he was able to keep an eye on his little two-year-old brother. And they would both tell me how their books would move around the middle of the night off their shelves and stuff like that. So 
I mean, I guess as far back as he can probably remember. Hmm. Yeah, that's got to be scary for a little kid. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was scary for me, too, because there was one time <laughs> I went into their rooms and I went to check on them in the middle of the night. And as I, I checked on my oldest and then I would walk across the room because it was a very long room. It wasn't really wide, but it was very long. So I had the room separated by length. Walk on one side of the room and I check on my one son, walk to the other side of the room. As I got to the middle, to their desk, all these books came flying off the desk at me. And as a mom, you'd think your first instinct is to, you know, get your children out. But I squealed and I ran out of the doorway and I was like, wait, what am I doing? And I ran back in and I was like, <laughs> wake up, boys. <laughs> I had to stop myself because it was the flight first. And the only reason that really made me nervous was because I was like, great, it's back. The big one that kept messing with my daughter was back, but it wasn't. It just turned out to be the normal one that was already in there. <laughs> but it, it freaked me out because immediately you jump and you take off. But then it's like, I can't do that. So I turned around and ran back in. I said, boys, get up for sleep in the living room tonight. <laughs> I'm assuming that your, uh, uh, your own experiences back when you were a teenager because you mentioned these things, your mimic happening when you were 17, but were you experiencing things even before that? Or was that kind of the, where it all, it all started when you was about 17? The negative stuff started when I was 16 or 17. Um, it was probably late, late into my 16th year. Before that, prior to that, I always had a lot of more precognizant um, influences. I'd have a lot of precognizant dreams. And then it got into the shadows. I was start, I started seeing the shadows at 12, but it all started when I was about 12 and I had what I call a paranormal awakening. It's where one, one day you're normal, everything's fine. And then the next day you just have this split moment where you have this realization and it was overnight. I started having precognizant dreams, started seeing shadows, this, this, and this, it all kind of like blew up all in one moment. And at that same time that everything blew up and I started experiencing stuff, I, for some reason, was miraculously cured from seizure disorder that I used to have. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it just went away overnight. And um, along with other weird things, like for somehow my blood type had changed. It went from A, A positive to O positive. And I... The only reason I found this out is because I went back and looked at my medical records because my mom told me one day, she goes, yeah, I remember when you used to have seizures. And I was like, no, I didn't. I never had seizures. And she went into this big explanation. And I went back and I tracked my, my childhood records and saw that even my blood type had changed somehow. And I'm still a little bit weirded out how that could have happened. But it all happened around the same time. Um, the paranormal awakening the curing of seizure disorders, the blood type change, all of that happened relatively overnight. Yeah. Sounds like you were abducted, but I'm no expert. Well, I've had some weird dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've had some strange dreams. And when I tell them to people, they think that I have been abducted, but to me, they felt a lot like dreams. Do you think that you're, you're well, I'm sure this is exactly the reason, but you're paranormal investigating. Do you think that happened? You became a paranormal investigator just because of your experiences, or do you think there was something a little deeper, like you were looking for answers as to why you were having experiences? 
Um, I was kind of looking for an understanding of what it was because I grew up in a very religious household. Anything like that was demonic. And, but as a sensitive, you feel that it's not demonic, but you're being mm -hmm. told and it's ingrained into you that it is. So that piqued my curiosity more than anything was these conflicting things that was happening that I was being told. So my curiosity was piqued by wanting answers for what I was really experiencing. And it just grew from there. It grew into being just obsessed with any mystery, including cryptids and things. So I just slowly over time just branched out into just wanting to understand anything around me that I don't understand yet. What's the most frightening thing you've experienced during an investigation? Um, that was probably, I was at a location, it's called OSPH, it's Old South Pittsburgh Hospital. And we were not running a, a, a crew that we were running, we we're not running an investigation that night. It was just volunteers there and we were out investigating it just as volunteers. And we were all kind of in this crowd in this little hallway and we're watching down this dark hallway and we can see this shadow moving through the hallway. And I'm watching this thing and I'm like, and I tell the person in front of me, like, do you see that? And they're like, yeah, what is that? And I said, I don't know. It's moving really slowly. And so we're watching this thing move. I'm like, okay, where's that now? We're kind of doing this back and forth thing where we're trying to see if what we're seeing matches what the other seeing. So I would tell her what I was seeing and she would tell me what she was seeing, the placement, what it looked like. And it looks like a cloaked figure about four foot tall with a wide brim hat on. And it was not walking. It was more like sashaying. It was like, like it had its shoulders bumping up and down. Like it didn't have knees or something. And I'm watching it. And, and then I'm like, all of a sudden it goes from just a normal pace. And then it just, da, 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 and it's right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And I just watched this shadow of this thing just, just zoom right towards us. And then right when it got right in front of her, she freaked out, struck, threw her arm behind her, smacked me and said, it whispered in my ear, it whispered in my ear. Uh. <laughs> so it was, it was one of the scariest things that I ever seen because I could see it for so long. We watched this thing for a good five to 10 minutes before it ran at us basically. And was right there in front of her because I was standing behind her and it was just so weird, just that little that little creature, just like the way it walked. It was it was just so unhuman like. But that was probably the scariest thing. And it sounds silly, but it was scary in the fact that I also had to volunteer there and run up and down the hallways and do things by myself. <laughs> so after seeing that, you're like, oh, is it still here? Where's it at? <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to go there. I've never had a chance to go there. And I didn't even realize exactly where it was. I just knew it was in Tennessee. And then when we were in uh, uh, Chattanooga and we were just coming for a, a short trip to where we were actually staying down there at the old uh, the dam that's supposed to be haunted down there. And uh, we had a, a cabin out there on the water and it was one of those floating cabins. It was really cool. And we were spending a couple of days and we decided to go into Chattanooga and did a ghost tour. And then on one of the little trips, I was like, I saw the sign saying uh, saying that the uh, East Pittsburgh State. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I had no clue because I would have made time if I'd have known before that trip that that's how close we would have been. But uh, I yeah. guess I have to do it next time we're down that way. 
you were really close and it's definitely a really cool place to check out um again with any haunted location it's got its high points and low points so there's times where it's really active and there's times where it's not so um you know nobody can promise that you're going to have an experience wherever you go somewhere but that place nine times out of ten you'll have an experience of some kind so it's a really cool place to check out the owner's a really good guy so if you're ever in the area definitely definitely stop and check it out all right speaking of places to check out uh you made a post that said, uh, I guess it was a picture of you at the, is it the Monroe house? Is that what it is? Or the Monroe something? Yes. The Monroe house. And you had put a post up a picture of you at the house and, and you're, you said something along the lines of, I thought I was finished here, but I'm wanting to go back. What did that mean? So the last time I was there was the last time my mimic was super active. And I had investigated that location a couple days prior before another group that I knew was going to come and investigate the same place. Uh, and while I was there, we had some cool stuff happen. Um, at what point it, it kind of tried to overtake me. So it, we had some pretty close calls while we were there. It was kind of exciting, but nothing too crazy, too big. Well, a couple days later, another group that I was friends with they went into that location and while they were there, they actually caught my voice on EVP and they saw me walking down the hallway into one of the rooms. So I'm like, well, if that place somehow was able to absorb some sort of mimicry in a way, I want to go back while my mimic is still active. And I want to kind of play around with what could happen if I were to try to draw it out while I was there and then get involved with another group soon after and to discuss with them what they experience while they're there. So it's kind of, I want to, I want to perform an experiment. You know, I've, uh, obviously there's residual hauntings, but can the residual haunting happen while someone's still alive? Does that, does, I never really thought about it, but I mean, I guess it's just an energy playing out a situation. I mean, it could be something that's just captured that energy and they saw that even though you're not dead. Uh, at least not that you know of, and maybe that was what it was like a stone tape theory type deal or something. It was just maybe instead of a mimic, maybe it was just an energy that's caught there. In that instance, when, when it happened at the mineral house, that's a possibility. The mimic itself, however, that to me is, is really hard to, um, settle on that, that kind of involves my previous theory that I talked about how it could possibly be like a, like a time delay or, or a time overlay. Um, however, there's been instances where it's interacted with my dogs growling back and forth with my dogs where I'm like, well, I've never done that before. <laughs> well, I so, definitely think, I definitely think what you've experienced with the mimic is a completely yeah. different thing. Yeah. I was just yeah. basically referring to them seeing you at the Monroe house. I'm wondering if that was a residual energy. That is very possible, especially at a location that's already haunted, because those hauntings, while we were there, I do think that part of them were residual. So if the location is already able to pull in residual energy and replay it, it's it's possible that it did that to me as well. Maybe I just have a strong energy emitting off of me or I was overly excited while I was there because I was investigating and that imprinted on the location based on the environment that it sits on. Um, so that, that is a possibility, 
but it was just very ironic that it happened that my mimic was active mm -hmm. when I went to that location and it showed some mimicry. So that was my main point was I kind of wanted to do a little bit of an experiment and see if I could re recreate it and it, for it to happen again, or if this is something completely separate. What's your favorite place that you've ever investigated? As far as we'll say, as far as a public place, because obviously we're not going to count residentials and stuff, but let's right. say a public place that you can talk about. What's your favorite? Um, Old South Pittsburgh Hospital has provided me with a lot more experiences. However, in the few times that I've been to Hales Bar Dam, that's near where you, you were talking about it. That's exactly um, where I was. Yeah. Yeah. So Hales Bar Dam, that location provided me with some really intense experiences in the short amount of times that I've been there. So probably Hales Bar Dam. Give me an example of some things that happened when you were done. And I know when we were there, we obviously where you check in uh, or the little store and everything and the boat docks. I mean, that's right there uh, at the building and the dams and all that stuff. And they had plenty of stuff to talk about. Uh, we didn't see anything when we were down there. And, uh, but I mean, that's, you know, doesn't say anything. I see nothing wherever I go, but you know, it did have a little bit of an eeriness at nighttime, uh, that I thought was pretty cool down there. What kind of experiences did you have and where were they at? One of the experiences that I had that was pretty intense was I was with another female investigator. I was actually with two female investigators and they were both sensitive. And uh, one of them was more medium and the other one was just sensitive. And as we're all standing there, we're all discussing it. We all go lights out. And the gentleman who kind of looks over the property, takes care of it, is a caretaker of it. He was with us as well. He was just making sure that we were good and everything was safe. And we go lights out and I can feel her really close to me. And I'm like, why is she standing so close to me? And so I'm like trying to look past her because there's shadows in the way from the, you see a little dim light in front of you and I'm trying to see past her. And then all of a sudden I look and I can see like kind of like the back of her head and I feel a little pat. I had a bunch of equipment in my um, hoodie pocket and I was holding on to a lot of equipment because it was jingling. And I was holding on to it. And so she pats my hoodie pocket and I could feel it on my hands from where I'm holding my equipment. And I look up at her right then and I see this face and it's not her. It's this <laughs> woman's face that's kind of wrinkled up. Her face looks like it's melting around the eyes. And she just has this gigantic grin that goes all the way back to her ears. And I immediately reach out for what I I was like, I want to see if it's her and it's my eyes player and tricks on me. She's like three feet in front of me. She's not directly in front of me. And I reach out and I finally am able to grab her. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So I tell her what I saw. And that was really scary for me because it, it interacted with me. It touched me. It looked at me and I could see its face perfectly. And it just had this wide grin and it was so massive. And it was like this open mouth, all teeth. It was just scary. Um, so that kind of sealed the deal on one, you know, that was one of the creepier experiences I had. And I'd only been there a few times prior to that. And I'm like, what an experience after only being here a few times. So that was pretty awesome. 
Yeah, really cool. Well, Gwendolyn, I, I really appreciate you taking some time to sit down and talk about some of this stuff. I know it's some of this stuff's kind of personal, obviously, because it's happening at your house and involves your kids and stuff like that. And I appreciate you coming on and talking with us about it. Yeah, I'm really glad you had me on. Um, if you don't mind, uh, if I could just throw a couple of Facebook pages out there. Well, I was getting ready to ask you to do that. Impatient. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, the the Uncharted Studies on Facebook is where I tend to go on and, and, and talk about my personal experience at home. That's the one that's more blog oriented. Um, and Adam Davies and I have joined up recently to create something called the Fold Mysteries which is going, it's, it's, um, it's going to be a kind of like a brand, a, a, um, an awareness brand to bring awareness to the paranormal. Uh, it's also going to be a forum and it's also a place where they can go check out the things that we're doing, places we're going. Um, and it's also a good place to contact us if they have any experiences and want us to come out and we investigate everything from cryptids. Um, we're looking at getting more into UFO and alien research uh, ghosts, any kind of paranormal, like gnomes, fairies, um, research pretty much anything of, of mystery, folklore, and stuff like that. So you can reach us at The Fold Mysteries on Facebook or go to thefoldmysteries.com. Uh, the forum is already up. It's already uh, relatively active. So there's some conversations going on where you can get involved and get ideas and ask questions and kind of bat around some theories. It's just a cool place to check out. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure we post all those links as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Gwendolyn, for, for coming on. I appreciate it. And it's been fun catching up with you. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I look forward to seeing you guys in Indianapolis this week. <laughs>